0: evangelist so my job just for your notes is Ephesians 4 uh, 11 and 12 to equip God's people for works of service my job isn't just to do evangelism myself my job is to get the church family doing it to mobilize the church family which is why an evangelist outside the context of the local church I never quite get because my my friction in life is in my church family trying to get the church family to be witnesses and seeking to make sure that pastors and teachers model evangelism, doing 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, the work of the evangelist. So I'm to be an evangelist equipping people, the pastor teacher is to do the work of the evangelist equipping people, and we're all to be witnesses. Now just as we think about evangelism now today, if you're taking notes, I always begin a a talk like this by saying, look, there are two ways we can listen. One, we can listen as a river, so it comes into me and it goes out, or we can listen now as a reservoir, where it comes in and it sticks in me, and you know what's Tys got to offer? Wonder what he's going to say. Now, I always start by saying, therefore, can you begin now by thinking of a non-Christian and a Christian and jot them down and listen for them? Because it changes your listening. And particularly if you're a young guy doing a talk on evangelism, trying to mobilize people for evangelism, and there are older people in the room, once they, cha- once they listen and they, and, and they hear for those other two people, so I'm listening, what about the non-Christian, um, I, I do chess club, James, on, on Thursday morning, the guy I lead it with, what about him, and then what about a, what about a Christian who's not here tonight who I can share this with? So, if you can, we just listen with a couple of names because we're going to—we've got to be um, uh, equipping others as we do this. For your notes, we're disciple-making disciples of Christ. Now, you may wonder why I, I began with uh, uh, Acts six one to four, a bit of an obscure passage. It's because I'm abs- as an evangelist, I'm absolutely convinced of this fact, and. and When it comes to the challenge of evangelism, our title tonight, I'm going to begin by saying this, brothers and sisters, because this is the most important thing I say in terms of mobilizing the church, and it is this. If you as a Christian leader are not modeling personal evangelism in this culture, then you can't expect your people to be doing it. So are you modeling it? So I think there are four things you've got to be thinking of as you recruit someone to a staff. Number one, uh, are they having a personal quiet time? If there's not a daily walk with Jesus, we're in such trouble. They've got to feed on him each day. Number two, do they take a day off? So we don't break God's laws, they break us. So, so if they don't have a, daily, a, a day off each week and entrust the sovereign Lord with the, with the other six days as they, as they work. But if they can't rest, they're going to break themselves. Roger Carswell, an evangelist in the north of England, he said, Rico, I, um, uh, I didn't take a day off, and then uh, all the days I, I didn't take off, I took in a row. <laughs> so so you, you'll break yourself. Number three, are they regularly seeking to do evangelism personally? So I've got chess club Thursday morning. I'm saying that, that, that uh, uh, all of us should be with non-Christians regularly on their terms. Chess club isn't on my terms. It's on their terms, and, and I'm doing that every week. And, uh, and I'm even saying to younger pastors, when you go and take a job at a church, as you get employed, put in your, in your job description that you can take time out to do the work of evangelism, to model it, because you've got to be bringing people Christmas and Easter or trying to be bringing people or when they are guest services, because if you're not modeling it, the church family don't think it's important. And I am sick of meeting pastors who think by preaching evangelistically they're involved in evangelism. You've got to put people in front of you. It's not just by preaching. And that will be a whole change of habit. And number four, can we read the Bible and open the Bible one-to-one with people? So with a non-Christian, can I get the Bible open? That's where the word one-to-one, I think, is, is a massive tool. I'm a coarse guy, but this one-to-one stuff is absolutely crucial. So why did I begin with Acts 6, one-to-four? Can we look at it together here? Because I said to John, Stott, I, I I said, Uncle John, how on earth Do I persuade pastors to model evangelism? I I knew how important it was. Otherwise, the church family are all souls. If Charlie Screen, my boss doesn't do it, and he's a member of a canoe club, and he does, so he's canoeing every Tuesday evening. But if if he doesn't... Well, he does a carol service on the water um, with, with the canoeists. But if he doesn't model it... They don't think it's important. How do we get people to model it? He said every generation, so this is from Uncle John and not me. By the way, brothers and sisters, just forget the fact for a moment he was an annihilationist. Forgive him for that. Well, I'm into eternal torment, just so I know. But he was a wonderful man, so hear him. We'll forgive him being an annihilationist. I can't believe he was there. Anyway, I loved him dearly. He was very godly. And he said, all of us have got to relearn Acts 6, 1 to 4. Can we have a look down and see what happens here? And you see what happens here is a delegation. You have to say no to something, a good thing, to say yes to the best thing. So let's have a look down here and and what happens. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered around the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And evangelism is teaching the word to non-Christians. It is ministry of the word. They come to faith through the word. What I've got to do is build a relationship. I've got to celebrate them, serve them, cross the pain line, try and get them under the word, maybe one-to-one, chatting with them or hopefully get them to a carol service or to a Christian Explored course. And and, and fourth, you know, if they don't want to know, I go back to celebrating and serving. But it is word ministry evangelism. It's teaching the Bible to non-Christians. So here's the question. What do you have to delegate or say no to in order to be modeling evangelism? That's the challenge as I begin. And if you're a pastor or in leadership and you're not modeling each week, doing something with non-Christians, your church family won't think it's important. And please don't think that because you preach evangelistically, you're doing the work of evangelism. It's wonderful that you do, but we can't be in this this day and age expecting people just to be be bringing people for us to hear without actually doing the work ourselves. So it's an absolute plea. What do I have to say no to in order to say yes to being with non-Christians? And actually, a doctrine of creation, you know, chess club is great. Next week, I'm playing golf with with a non-Christian I was at university with. I'm doing that during work time because it is work. I'm playing golf with him during work time because I don't want him to go to hell. And I'm relating to him. I'm trying to get the Bible open with him. Oh, dear. If we don't model it, our people won't think it's important. And that's every week with non-Christians. And I thank God for my new boss, Charlie Screen, who is doing that. How do we respond to the times? Where where are we? If you've got these bits of paper, brothers and sisters, where are we now as we, as we just look forward? I think there are four, there are four views in the culture, or in the church, in terms, of, in terms of just what people are thinking and doing. Certainly, this is an Anglican perspective. The free churches may be more free of this, so I'm glad for that. But number one, there is the section of All Souls, my church. So this is my church family who just long for the culture to be recovered. So they they long for us to be as respected as we were. You know, for 50 years, All Souls, by the BBC, we were were faithful and respected in the culture. We were faithful to the gospel and respected. So All Souls was on the front of the Radio Times. We used to have the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the service coming out from us that used to be the 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 morning service would be broadcast from all souls and there'd be clergy that did that but um but you know no longer no longer will they tolerate our theology and what we believe so so some people are just saying oh gosh i just look back and you know i just see what's happening now it's just agony to see they lament that others where are others as we look down others are retreating from the culture so the culture will corrupt and contaminate me and my children it's back to the monastery the confidence has gone And I'm I'm saying, look, I understand there are huge issues in terms of where our kids are. I'm, With my kids, very worried about where they go to school. I'm not knocking that. But I'm saying that some have just retreated to social action. Do a bit of good, but no confidence in the gospel. So here is their motto. My faith is a personal, private thing. It helps me in my life. I wouldn't dream of imposing it on someone else. So that's where many are. And the issue here in terms of the retreat, now please hear this, brothers and sisters, jot this down, is that we have separated holiness from evangelism. We have concocted a view of Christlikeness that means I don't have to be alongside the retreat and, and, and go after the non-Christian. And I'm saying that as a spiritual exercise, I think evangelism and as a discipline must be alongside prayer and Bible reading. So each day I read my Bible, I pray, and I'm at chess club with non-Christians. It's a discipline. Uh, A part of my life is a disciplined contact with non-Christians every week. Uh, 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 That's what I'm saying. But there's been a separation. So, you know, there's a dear lady at my church. She's very sweet. But her evangelism is she leaves tracks on buses when she gets off the bus. She doesn't know any other non-Christians. But she says, I leave a tract on the bus. I mean, I'm glad she does. But, but, but how do we get a view of um, a holiness that means at the center of that is God so loved the world that he sent his son that we go to the lost. So, so, so uh, uh, that's the third. The third, uh, that's the second retreat. Number three, if we look on the bit of paper, can we see where we are? And this is a disaster. Do pray for the Church of England over the next couple of years with living in love and faith and other denominations in Wales and Scotland that have broken already. But it's reconciling. So in other words, where the word of God comes into conflict with the culture, they will accommodate the word of God to the culture. So there there are many who are seeking to rub the sharp edges off the teaching of Jesus. And uh, uh, it's very interesting, of course. What defines you as a liberal is not what you do say. It's what you refuse to say. I have been no-platformed at Oxford and Durham University. I was meant to take the missions in those places. Uh, That was refused to me. I'm pursued by Stonewall. They see where I'm going and then they, they, they get in touch and get local clergy and others to complain that I'm coming. I then have to withdraw from doing the mission because I don't, I want the Lord Jesus to be the subject of the mission, not me. But what that means is that sort of intimidation, it means evangelists self-censor. They stop saying the truth. Whilst the truth is Jesus is Lord, if you're in a same-sex relationship, you must repent of that. Otherwise, you will pay in hell for your wrongdoing. And we have to graciously say that. Now, that is why, as you look down, can we see, I think Living Out are incredibly important as an evangelism organization. www.livingout.org. Do you see them down there? So these are celibate, same-sex attracted brothers and sisters who are celibate, who say, I flourish under the lordship of Christ. That's what I'm doing. I I may have these same-sex urges, but I'm not going to follow them because I follow Jesus. And this is to flourish and I have found absolutely crucial in terms of uh, uh, engaging with the culture, saying, where can people who want to be celibate and are same-sex attracted feel safe? And where can they not just be tolerated, but applauded? It's the church. Please allow us to put our arms around these dear brothers and sisters. But, uh, but certainly the culture is, is, is intimidating many in the church, and, and, and let's remember always this, that, that, brothers and sisters, evangelism is a subsection of faithfulness. Now, often in church history, evangelism has driven liberalism, because people say, we're going to have to chop that in order that more will come. Let's not mention human sexuality, because the young won't like it. Whilst what I have to do is trust Jesus to be Lord, and as I preach Christ, God opens blind eyes, but also get my tone right. If the tone is not right, then, then then I've got to watch that. But there's a, a desire to reinterpret. Let me, let me quote Justin Welby recently, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Justin Welby gave an interview in which he was asked, this is from Evangelicals Now 2017, is gay sex sinful? He replied, you know very well that's a question I can't give a straight answer to. The interview transcript then states, pause, mildly embarrassed. Pressed on why he couldn't give an answer, he said, because I don't do blanket condemnation, and I haven't got a good answer to that question. I'll be really honest about that. Now, there is a clear answer to the question, and in order to be faithful, I've got to state it. But uh, we've just got to be careful of of those who are saying, this is their line, do jot it down. Uh, They're saying the Bible is not the word of God. No, it contains the word of God, and then they decide what it contains that they approve of. So that's the third place uh, where many are, do you see it's, it's some recover, some want to retreat, and again, as they retreat, they've forgotten that, that um, holiness and evangelism must go together. Thirdly, there are those that are reconciling, and uh, I, I certainly find living out incredibly helpful as a response to that. And number four, resilience. What is resilience? Uh, this is so important for, for evangelism. Resilience is the ability to withstand and bounce back from external pressures and shocks. So here is resilience. Do jot this down. Here's the definition of it. Brothers and sisters, it's having a soft heart and a tough skin. And that is what we need in the culture today, a soft heart and a tough skin. It's interesting that um, Don Carson says, culturally, we've moved from Athens to Babylon. In Athens, you had to articulate the, the faith. And people like Jim Packer and John Stott and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones were magnificent as they did that for us. But now, brothers and sisters, it's guts. You've just got to have guts. And you cannot model fear to the younger men and women. You can't model fear. We have to know where we stand. And I think, interestingly, Jordan Peterson, I don't think, is a Christian, but it's interesting, he's taught me this. We just have to be prepared to die for it. So Jordan Peterson was asked, you know, on the pronouns thing and, you know, he said, yes, my university are going to be sued by the government and my university are putting pressure on me and I still won't do what I'm being asked to do. And then the pressure may turn out that they sue me personally because I'm not going to conform as an academic to the demands of the culture in terms of the gender uh, uh, dysphoria that's going on. I insist on calling men and women male, female, or, you know, as he got into that argument. And he said, and then what's going to happen if they do personally sue me? I won't pay any fines, and I will go to prison. If I go to prison, I'll go on hunger strike. In other words, what he said to the Canadian government is, you're going to have to kill me to shut me up. Now, I think that is very important for us. We've got to be prepared to die for this. And that is, of course, Mark 834, take up your cross and follow me. But we cannot give way. We've got to be gracious, but we must be resilient. And we've got to be prepared to die for it. I think COVID has helped us because it's brought us all closer to eternity and to see the brevity of life. I say that as I take my best friend's funeral tomorrow from school, age 55, um, died of liver cancer. So, so it's a brutal environment we're in. So, so just, just in terms of resilience, how do we build resilience? Well, the key thing is in the morning, in the quiet time, can we have a look down? Uh, do you see this little map I've done here? As I'm trying to, to, to teach resilience, build it myself, and, and, and keep going uh, 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 spiritually, what I've got to be doing is, is just as we can see here, there are four points that I'm looking at each day as I'm just trying to train myself to look out and seek to be evangelistic. So here are the four points. I wonder if you can see them on that bit of paper there. This is my thinking. These are my feelings, do you see on the bit of paper there? These are my choices, and here is my physical health. And then this is all my environment that I'm in here. The the, the, the wider picture here, the environment that I'm in. So that's, that's the outside circle. Now what I've got to do if I'm going to really uh, give myself to the gospel and to evangelism each day as I go out, the first thing I've got to stand with, brothers and sisters, is I've got to think about um, getting my thinking in place. So let's think about Eve in the Garden of Eden. What did the devil do? He, he torpedoed her thinking. God is not good. You can't trust him. He doesn't want you to be like him. What did she then feel? Resentment. And what did she then do? She rebelled. So internally... I think all of us are in one of two places in the church family and and each day emotionally. We're either, these are the only things that really matter to me as I seek to care for the church family. I'm asking, as I'm with the church family, are my church family or is this individual in thanksgiving or resentment? Those are the two areas, because it was resentment in Eve that led to rebellion. And what we've got to get in place is, Acts, is, is, is Romans 12, 1 and 2. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. So what I've got to do is I've got to focus on the gospel each morning. I've got to feel my feelings change, and then I've got to want to go out and speak for Christ. And if my physical health is brutal, then I've got to take that into account as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm doing that, as I'm managing it. Can I show you, as we look down, do you see the questions I ask myself each morning in my quiet time? So what do I do each morning as I, uh, 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 as I come each day to get my thinking on the gospel to be thrilled with it? Here's the first question I ask myself. Rico, when were you converted? When was I converted? It wasn't in 1982. No, I was converted. Uh, can we see there? Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you were converted before the beginning of time. That's your story. And each morning I, I find I'm overwhelmed with that truth. That's when you were converted before the beginning of time. How were you converted? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. You were converted by a miracle. So God took the power that made the world and he shot it into your heart and he got you to see that Jesus was God. You were not converted because you came from a lovely Christian home, although that is a great privilege. You were converted because God did a miracle and opened your eyes to Jesus. Jesus. Thirdly, as we look down, now, you see, as I do this, as I think, Rico, you were converted before the beginning of time, I feel the thanksgiving well up. And I find the resentment dissolve. And by the way, with all this, of course, we've got it's like anything. Never do things for the church. Andrew Wingfield Digby said to me, before I got ordained 30 years ago, he said to me, he said, I said, just any advice? He said, yes, you've got to do things for Jesus and the gospel. The church will disappoint you so profoundly so if you at the moment are profoundly disappointed with the christian or the church brother sister see that as an opportunity to be reminded of the loveliness of jesus and do it for him and i pray you can forgive that brother and sister who's being such a banana but i mean i'm just saying guys it's just it is we've got to get that right thirdly as we look down do you see here why is today a great day romans 8 28 29 why is it, well, we, all things work together for my good What is my good? Verse 29, to conform me to the likeness of Christ. So in other words, today is a great day because today's the day God has planned for me. And if it's good for God, it's good for me. So as I get out of bed each day, it's a great day. Even tomorrow when I'm burying my best mate from school. It's the day God has planned and it is to make me more godly. So there are only two things in life. I'm going to heaven and I've got to be more godly on the way. And God is in control of doing that. Now, At the door, don't confront me with some situation that is absolutely brutal because I'm an evangelist. Talk to the pastors about that. I won't have it. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works. I've got a number of things at the moment where I'm thinking, Lord, I don't know how this works. So ask the pastor teachers, not the evangelist. But I'm saying I trust the Lord on that one. And how do I trust it? Do jot this down. If he was in control on Good Friday, he's in control today. And Sunday was coming. Do you see? It, I look at the cross. If I'm struggling to be, if he's in control, then he's in control today. I can't see how, but he, I'm trusting him. On we go with this little catechism. Do you see? Why is today a better day than yesterday? Have a look. Romans chapter eight and verse eighteen. Uh, if we look down. So, so again, as I'm, as I, I I've got my little uh, 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 notes here. Um, uh, um. Do you know what I put that? That's not. That. I, haven't, I haven't put verse 18 in my catechism. I'll have to move it across. Here we are. You know verse 18, lots of you, but let me read it to you here. Here we go. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So today's a better day than yesterday because I'm a day closer to seeing Jesus. And what will it be like seeing Jesus? Well, no eye has no seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So... Take, the, the, take the, the most joyous experience of your life. I wonder if you can think of the best moment of your life. Maybe you heard someone have been converted or Wilkinson's dropped goal. I don't know. But take the best moment of your life and multiply it by eternity and its depth by infinity, and that's what it will feel like being in the new creation. So this gets me going in the morning for evangelism, you see. And why is it a worse day for the non-Christian? Because they're a day closer to hell. Tomorrow at the little crematorium service I'm doing, I don't think anyone in the room is a Christian. It's just me. Just me. He's got, he's got a son and daughter of 14 and 12. I'm just saying, we're going to get the gospel out tomorrow. So, so, so there we are. That, that's what we've got to do. So, so thinking, feeling. And on the feelings here... Just to say on the feelings, I've got, if I'm not feeling anything, I'm in real trouble. But what's the key to being thrilled at the gospel? Well, this is what Simeon said, growing downwards. So what I've got to do is get my Bible open and see my sin afresh. And then what I've got to do is join the golden chain. Do we have a look down here? This is the golden chain of evangelism, discipleship, and, 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 and training others. Do you see? Sin, grace, joy, discipleship, leadership, training others. So, in the morning, as I'm having my quiet time, my aim is is to be overwhelmed with my own depravity afresh. How do you keep going spiritually? It's very counterintuitive. The only way up is down. Allow your morning Bible reading to reveal your sin to be a mirror. Go to God's grace, feel the joy of being forgiven and then go out and serve. But we'll never keep going on evangelism unless we begin with that that golden chain of sin, grace, joy. Do you see Simeon as we look down here? This was uh, a man who ministered for 57 years in Cambridge. He was a hero of John Stott, a bachelor like John Stott. Um, At one point, he was stoned uh, by a mob. Um, He was, after 25 years appallingly ill but but recovered. For 12 years the pews were locked so they had to stand to listen to him and yet 10% of uh, the clergy when he died were evangelical. They were the Simeonites and you know what they loved about him? Overwhelming joy. He had such joy and the reason was was that each morning he delved into his sin and saw God's grace felt such joy, and then came out. Whatever he was facing with Bonhomi, once in his diary, he wrote, Do you know, one of the Dons walked around the quad with me. They so hated him, they never even associated him. Once, one of them walked around the quad, and he said he put it in his diary. <laughs> and yet, the young men loved him because of his joy. I spoke recently to a, a friend who's a missionary in Japan. I said, why are there so few young men getting ordained, or getting into the ministry? And he said to me, well, one of the reasons is the old men are so miserable. We've got to be joyous. It's a wonderful message. There's a new person on staff with me at All Souls. She is a dramatically joyful woman. And I must say, it just affects the whole place. So just as we uh, uh, look down again, um, uh, here's Simeon. With this sweet hope of ultimate acceptance with God, he wrote, I've always enjoyed much cheerfulness before men, but I've at the same time labored incessantly to cultivate the deepest humiliation before God. I've never thought that the circumstance of of God having forgiven me was in any reason why I should forgive myself. On the contrary, I've always judged it better to loathe myself, the more, in proportion as I was assured that God was pacified towards me. There are but two objects that I've ever desired these 40 years to behold. The one is my own vileness, and the other is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm saying the key to keeping going as an evangelist is to keep seeing your own vileness. See the wonder of grace, feel the joy, and go out and tell others. I love Alf Stanway, a bishop in the 1950s. Do you see the quote there? If other people knew you like God knows you, all your faults, all your vain thoughts, all the sins, all your sins, all the things in your heart, all the wrong thoughts you ever had, would they trust you with the kind of work God trusts you with? Here's the supreme confidence that God has in his own grace. He'll take the like of you and me and give us the privilege of being his saints. Now, the reason I go through this stuff is, brothers, sisters, I think it's a harder day on evangelism. I think fewer people, I mean, the Lord is the one who can open any blind eyes, as he's done with all of us. But it seems to be quite hard work. I'm having to work harder on my spiritual walk now because it's just harder on the street. It's just taking longer. It doesn't mean people aren't open, but it's longer. And certainly at All Souls, we find that there's a long gap between the net and the boat, We've got lots of people in the net, but actually seeing them converted in the boat seems to be a long haul. So again, being spiritually absolutely thrilled, there's a quote there, we won't do it now, from the Valley of Vision that I find amazing. But also, just the last thing here, in terms of just the disaster we've had in the Anglican Church on godliness, people like Jonathan Fletcher, uh, a minister in Emmanuel, Emmanuel Wimbledon, who led many of us for a long time, just been an absolute disaster. What am I trying to do as well in terms of choices Well, here each morning, I'm trying to mortify the flesh. So in my daily Bible reading, I will have verses on anger and verses on lust that I'll go through, saying, Lord God, may I put these to death, because these will end ministry if we're not in control. So on anger, do you see as we look down? Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Lord God, please give me a merciful heart today. May I not lose my temper. Please, Lord. Uh, as we look down do you see uh, in your in your anger don't sin don't let the sun go down while you're angry don't give the devil a foothold father god may there be no foothold for the devil you know i'm bitter about that please remove that bit root of bitterness i've got to be gracious lord jesus please help me i know you were the one that said father forgive them." they know what they do as they were murdering you please give me something of that lord give me a soft heart So I'm working through these verses on anger. Likewise, And then I have an, an, an R call. I wonder if you can see it over the page. A-A-R. Acknowledge, absorb, respond. Acknowledge my anger. Oh, gosh, I'm feeling angry about that. Okay, Rico, you're cross. You can't lose your temper, but you're cross. Absorb it. Step back. Just take a breath. James 3. They can't hear you teach the Bible if you've lost your temper. And I did during lockdown. I lost my temper. Thirdly, respond, okay, what do I do about this now? I've just got to be alert to it. And then again, uh, uh, the, the last verse is, again, you know, just disastrous. I mean, dear Rabbi Zacharias, I mean, you know, when he went and visited, if he was visiting around the world and he only had one talk to give, the dear brother would give a talk on integrity. That was the talk he would give. And yet we now know it just, there were just such battles. And not a member of a local church where he was accountable. Oh, just agony. But, you know, there, there, there was no question there were issues here. So we're going through these verses. You know, treat the younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Numbers 32, 23. You may be sure your sin will find you out. Rico, be sure it will find you out. Be sure. Now be godly. Come on. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within her, in his heart. Lord God, please, enable me to be pure here. Please, Lord, for the sake of the Lord Jesus and for his honor and glory. And don't forget, you know, there are 3% of the time when there's a madness I find in men. And it, you can undo your whole ministry because in that 3%, you haven't got the boundaries and the, and, 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 and the accountability and the things in place to stop you being an absolute fool. So I have a friend, I meet him each month, and we ask each other the question, what question do you not want me to ask you? But we've got to work on this. The church has had too much tragedy in this area recently. So there we are. So we're just looking here. Physical health, of course. Am I running at the moment post-COVID? I'm 20 pounds overweight. It's madness. I've got to, I've got to lose weight. And actually, wearing a light shirt's madness because it makes you look even fatter. But anyway, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that, you know, exercise, today I took my daughter to tennis. Just just what do you do to emotionally refresh? But that's part of being human. And it's the stuff I do with non-Christians. So when I play golf, I do it with non-Christians. Andrew's a non-Christian I'm going to play with next week. So, so I'm just looking to, to, to manage myself here. And I'm saying the challenge of evangelism as we begin is modeling it, brothers and sisters, and godliness. Godliness is, is, the, is, John Stott's last sermon at Keswick, the last public sermon he gave, was Christlikeness is the great need of the church. So we've got to be putting our flesh to death. Because the problem is, the reason for, John, for Ravi Zacharias and, and Jonathan Fletcher and others is actually they didn't have an adequate view of sin. At the heart of all heresy is an inadequate view of sin. They didn't actually realize just how, what the fight was against sin. Amazing, the doctrine was there, but it wasn't in place, the battle. Right, as we, as we um, continue now, so, so I just want to say that's the challenge. The challenge is modeling it. The challenge is personal godliness. And then the third word I'd like you to just jot down is confidence. The challenge today is confidence that God will do it. I wonder if we could stick up the, the uh, uh, um, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 6 the slide. That would be great. And I, if we can just put the whole it, it up there, if you can open up on that. And just as we, I'm going to give out some uh, uh, papers now, just on that. But I wonder if you can look at that with the person next to you. Have a look at it up there. And uh, if we can, um, can we get it all up there? I don't know if we can. Um, just 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6. And here's the question. Who's at work in the work of evangelism? Great, if we look at 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6, turn to that, and if we can fly them out as well, here's the next flyer for us. Great, have a look at that, turn to the person next to you and do jot this question down, who is at work in the work of evangelism, and the key theme here as I'm looking at the challenge today is confidence. We've got to retain our confidence as we seek to get the gospel out. Great. Have a look, Dan. You've got a minute there. Just have a minute to go through 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6. Now, I have a rule as an evangelist. I teach this to someone in my, in my church family or the wider church. There are a couple of my church family here today, so that counts. And I do that once a week. So I think this is the most important passage on evangelism in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6. I think it gives us our methodology. I wonder if you can read it through with that question, who's at work in the work of evangelism. Just start chatting it through with the person next to you, who's at work in the work of evangelism. Great, in pairs. Who's at work in the work of evangelism? Great everyone. Can we see who's at work in the work of evangelism? Anyone give me a verse. Now don't leave the fat Anglican stranded at the front here. Who's at work in the work? Anyone give me a verse. Who who does what as we look at this passage? So I always ask that question, who's at work? We look at it one to one. What have we got here? Who does what? Verse six. Verse six? Brilliant. Verse 6. What does God do in evangelism? Verse 6. Thank you so much. Verse 6. Do jot it down. God opens blind eyes. So God is the great evangelist. And the reason I'm here is that God does a miracle. So no one can become a Christian when they want to become a Christian. You can only become a Christian when God wants you to become a Christian. The reason you're sitting here is that God did a miracle and opened your blind eyes to Jesus. It's an amazing thing. And he did it with the power that made the world. He recreates our hearts and gets us to see that Jesus is God. So conversion is a moment of identification. I see who Jesus is. Paul on the Damascus Road. Who are you? I am Jesus. Who else is at work? Thank you for that. God is at work opening blind eyes. Who else is at work? Someone else give me a verse there satan is at work so there are spiritual cataracts on people's eyes my my uh, brother-in-law has been prayed for i am sure every day of his life by his mother i'd put my life on that and yet he is still blindly atheistical we need a miracle it's a, i can't think of a different another way of trying to tell him that, about jesus but i need a miracle so, that, so the god of this age, and isn't it wonderful? All they can see is this age. All they can see, which is where COVID has been so great, hasn't it? Because it's stripped away what this age can offer. It means there's great opportunity. People have had their worldviews shattered. It's been brutal too. Don't get me wrong. I've done 20 funerals, but I'm saying it's been it's it's been extraordinary. But as we look down, who else is at work? The devil's at work. Who else is at work? We are. Yep. Yeah, which verse? Yep, we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Which, that, that is true. What's the ministry? We have this ministry. Which verse describes the ministry? We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So we, what do we do, verse 5? This is evangelism. We, this is the battle. We preach Christ. Now, I used to just go, we preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. But I found that won't work anymore, because the problem is the Archbishop of Canterbury and I are preaching a different Jesus. He preaches Jesus too, but he doesn't preach Jesus as Lord. So our job is to preach Jesus as Lord. And, 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 and you know what, what, what's happening is I'm afraid that Justin Welby is saying he's not Lord of your sexuality. You don't have to repent. And the Church of England is going to break up over that one word over the next 10 years. It will break up over the word repent. Uh, Do we repent of certain sins that the culture wants to warm to or not? But we preach Jesus as Lord, and as we do that, God opens blind eyes. Now, this is a huge issue for today on evangelism, brothers and sisters. What this means is, and this is why I go nuts on this issue, is that if we're not faithful, the Holy Spirit departs, because he's only going to open blind eyes if we faithfully preach Jesus. So you see, what's happening in the Church of England is there are lots of prayer meetings... But we're not preaching Jesus as Lord. So how do we expect God to answer prayer? So you see, this is the key issue with the faithfulness. Otherwise, God says, I'll remove my lampstand. So we preach Christ as Lord. God opens blind eyes. How do we preach Christ? Can we look back down? Verse 2. We've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. So two areas where we have to preach faithfully, wrath and repentance. Those those will be the areas of battle. Two R's, wrath and repentance. Do jot it down. So wrath, God's settled, controlled personal hostility to evil. We've got to keep saying the problem with sin is it leads to hell, and it makes God angry. So we have to keep crossing the pain line. Now, we do that by trying to win people, by saying how I treat you, how you treat me, and how we treat the world matters to God. There's been the 15th woman murdered by a man um, since Sarah Everard in this city, 15th woman since Sarah. And it matters to God, and he will bring his judgment. It's a great thing. There's a great thing there's judgment to come. But we have to teach wrath. And secondly, we've got to teach repentance, which means I'm for what Jesus is for, and I'm against what he's against. That's repentance. I trust Jesus to know what's best and follow him. What else have we got here? Just as we look down, these verses that are key, so how, So number one is who's at work in the work of evangelism. For your notes, please also jot down how do we preach Christ. One, faithfully. Now, what's interesting is, you see, in terms of verse two, wrath and repentance, what happens when we lose heart? When you lose heart, you stop preaching wrath and repentance. So someone who loses heart changes the gospel. That's, what, that's the challenge, to not change it. You've got to keep saying it, and you'll get no platform. That's what's happened to me but you can't change it. And you've got to make sure your identity is in Christ. So whether you accept or reject me doesn't make me more valuable. What makes me valuable is Christ died for me. And I've got to internalize that and make sure I'm winsome, but I can't stop saying the truth. And again, living out are a huge help as we get to the issue of human sexuality. Uh, going back down again, what else do I realize? Verse, verse six, Dr. Lloyd-Jones would love this. The results belong to God, not to me. I've just got to be faithful. The results are his. So, so, so whether someone's converted or not is not up to me. My job is, verse 5, did you preach Christ as Lord? That's my job. So, so, so you know, when, some, when I get back from a mission, what's the question I always get asked? How many were converted? What's the question you should ask me? Rico, were you faithful? And then thirdly, the great issue here, of course, is prayer. Not only do we preach Christ faithfully, we must say, "God, Lord God, there, there, there's a cataract across their eyes. Please open their blind eyes, Lord. Please, Andy, please open his blind eyes. And secondly, Lord, do the miracle. Please send your power. We've got to pray. And God's the great evangelist. So those two questions that open that passage up, and I think they contain the, 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 the challenge of every generation. As we look down, what have we got then? We've got God's sovereignty, verse 6. God opens blind eyes. He is the one who's in control. We've got gospel integrity, verses 1 to 5. Tell the truth. Be straight with people. Teach the righteousness of Christ, Romans 1, 16 and 17. But thirdly, now this is a great challenge, brothers and sisters. Thirdly, do we see verse 5? and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What does it mean to serve someone in evangelism? Well, that famous passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, tells us what it means to be serving. Please flick to that, if you would, just as we draw to a close. 1 Corinthians 9. What does it mean to be serving people in evangelism? You know this so well, but please write down the word energy. Do you see what Paul says? Though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To verse 22, to the weak I've become weak, to win the weak I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So with my right hand rock solid on doctrine and belief, my left hand is reaching for people. I need energy. What does it mean to reach for them now? Don't forget it was Ian Murray who said, Dr. Jones's biographer, the trouble with many of the free churches is they're fishing off the white cliffs of Dover. You know, are my lines in the water? That's why I'm doing chess club. I'm actually with someone at chess club. But there's so many Christians and pastors who are just not with non-Christians. We've got to be with them. That doesn't mean 1 Corinthians 5. Don't forget the battle for purity is within the church, not outside, that's where we need to be disciplining it. But I've got to be with them. What does it mean to get my line in the water? To be reaching for people. And then God sovereignly will, will, will you know, I'm hoping chess club. I'm hoping to give James a New Testament soon as we chat away. So just as, 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 as we're there, the, 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 there we've got that. There's got to be this energy reaching for people. I'm always going to say, right, what, what, what's changed? What, what events do we put on? How do we reach them now? Now, as we, as we uh, uh, come to it, what's the... So those are the three things. Do you see there, brothers and sisters, as we look down? Here are the three great themes of evangelism. God's sovereignty, gospel integrity, our creativity. And if you turn inside, can you see inside uh, uh, the next page in? I've got to make sure that there is a biblical balance between the three. So that exercise is great fun to do and very striking for my church. What happens if I've got sovereignty and creativity but not integrity? well, I produce believers but not disciples. Christians become hypocrites because they've not been taught to repent. What happens if I've got sovereignty and integrity but not creativity? It's not relevant. It's not reaching people. The the sermons don't connect with them. I'm not in their lives. What happens if I've got integrity and creativity but not sovereignty? Well, I have a breakdown because I think the results are down to me. But have a look. There are four or five applications on all of that. What have I got to be doing as I go out? Can you see there? Four things I've got to develop in my life. Four steps I'm always developing. Do you see the four steps there? Celebrate, serve, tell, which means crossing the pain line and exit. So number one, celebrate people. Now, the sovereignty of God is at the start of this, brothers and sisters. Celebrate people because God, Acts 17, has decided that they're in my life. So recently, John and Sarah have moved into my street. They think they've come to London to work for BP. Acts 17 tells me that is not the case. The reason they've come to London is to meet me.
1: <laughs>
0: I really mean it. Because Acts 17, 24 to 28 tells me, do you know the passage? God is the ruler. He created all things. He is the sustainer. He gives all things breath. He is the, he is, uh, the creator. He decides where men and women live. And he does all that, that people might reach out and find him. So what's going on in history is the sovereign Lord decides where everyone lives in order that they meet Jesus. Now, again, that is crucial for confidence. At the heart of my evangelism is this confidence that what is going on in history is God is bringing people to Jesus. So as I knock on John and Sarah's door, I'm going, you're here to meet me. You don't know that but I'm the most important person you know because I know Jesus. Please forgive the middle-class English arrogance, but I really mean it. (laughs) Secondly, as we look down serve, random acts of kindness, what's your biggest stress? Now, at this point, I just want to say that Talking Jesus um, was a survey done just before lockdown. I don't know if anyone came about it. Do jot it down. Here it is, www.talkingjesus.org done, conducted uh, on behalf of the Church of England, the Evangelical Alliance, and Hope UK. What this found was, and this is an amazing stat, is that 67% of people in this country have a Christian friend they like. So actually, what we've got to say to our church families is, actually, you're doing an amazing job loving people. And they are. There's real kindness. I look at all souls with the tens of thousands of relationships that come out of it. My church family are amazing at loving and serving. So often they're the Henry Kissinger in the family, the only one anyone trusts, as they sit there trying to make, you know, work that out. But, you know, it starts as people move onto the street. Recycling's Thursday morning. Here's a box of chocolates. It's thrilled, love to have you here. It's just friendliness, but every time I see them, it's a divinely ordained opportunity, confidence, but then serve. But then, thirdly, cross the pain line. My identity's in Christ, so I'm going to say to them, do you celebrate Christmas? There's just a point where I'm gonna, that I'm going to have a question for them that puts on the table something of Christian faith. Do you ever think about spiritual things? And I'm coaching the church family to cross that pain line. When I'm playing golf with Andrew on, on Tuesday, that I've got, I'm going to you know, try and say to him, I'll make sure I've lost by the 15th, so he'll be four and three up. And I'll say, I'll say mate, where are we on spiritual things? Where are you at the moment on that? So so I'm looking to see that. Now, it might be, do you see the fourth step as we look down here? It might be that I then have to exit. If anyone won't welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town, shake the dust off your feet. In other words, if they go quiet, you go quiet, go back to celebrating and serving. But if they keep speaking, you keep asking questions. And let's remember, Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. We've got to get good as a minority at asking questions. Just ask questions. Just get the chat going. But celebrate, serve, cross the pain line, and then exit if we have to. My, there's a gay couple on my street, Brian and Kevin. They're a, they're a delightful couple, actually. And my son, Peter, likes to help Kevin water the flowers. So what I'm doing is I'm coaching Peter, who's nine, to say to Kevin, Uncle Kevin, where do you think the flowers came from? So that's what you do. Send the women and children over the pain line for you. <laughs> Send them over. And then I'll come in behind and say, oh, I'm so sorry, Kevin. What would you saying? <laughs> Send the children over in front of you. OK, last thing I'm going to say. Brother, I'm finishing right now. OK, what is the silver bullet as we go forward, brothers and sisters? So what's the one thing that we've got to be bearing in mind as we head forward? And uh, where's my board, rubber? Board, the board, Mark. There we are, got it up here. So, what's the one thing I want to say as I finish? What do I think is going to be the key to evangelism over the next 25 years? Alongside the challenge, is going to be, number one, the pastors have got to model it. Number two, we've got to have a spiritual life that is thrilled with Jesus each day. Sin, grace, joy, evangelism, service, training. But thirdly, as we close, Brothers, sisters, what's the silver bullet? What's the one thing we've got to teach in our churches and we've got to train? That's the question, isn't it? And I want to say, I think it's this as we look back over the last 70 years. So, this is 1954, 55. Here is man. Here is our sin. Here is God. And Billy Graham came to Haringay and called people to repent and believe, but, but um, uh, he, he preached the gospel, and there were 40,000 professions at Harringay. How many of those people were already in church? Answer: 90 percent. Ninety percent of those converted at Harringay were already in church. Partly, how did you know that? Because do you remember what, the, what they used to say? "The coaches will wait for you." Well, they'd come in a coach. They were already in relationship with these people. But they came down, it was extraordinary. There was, I mean, I was a student worker in the 80s, and it was amazing how many people had, had their parents converted at Harringay. Extraordinary. Um, not that I'm not saying that they weren't reservations, and I wanted to hear the doctor's reservations on Billy Graham. I think they were, they, look, I want to hear those. But at the same time, that's where we were in 54. I arrived at All Souls in 1994, and the culture had changed. I know it doesn't look as I've been there 30 years because my hair's good, but I am. I've been there 30 years. There we are. And I've sacrificed my body for my face. So, (laughs) so, Where are we here? What we found is there were cultural narratives that had emerged that were vastly anti-gospel. What were they? Christians are weird. That was one thing that the media again and again was telling people. And of course, sometimes you do meet a Christian brother, and you look at him, and you think, my dear brother, you are weird. But of course, they were weird before they were Christian. Some people are just weird. But, but, but time and again in the media, that's the narrative that's told. Secondly, the gospel's irrelevant. It's not about real life, it's irrelevant. It doesn't make a real difference. Actually, it's hysterical now because in the schools... Um, I was converted in a boarding school. My dad worked abroad, so I, I went there when I was eight. I've just about recovered now. I'm just about through the experience. But it was interesting now the schools are crumbling because actually they, they, they were set up on the conviction of certain truths about, for example, the judgment to come that were to make an English gentleman. But of course now they don't like those truths. So they're trying to produce the behavior without the conviction. Crisis, total crisis. But it's irrelevant. Thirdly, it's untrue. You know, this isn't, this, just, this, this, this isn't true, what's being taught here. I mean, disastrous, because we know that the historical documents are amazing. But if you look at talking Jesus, 40% of the people in this country think that actually Jesus was, didn't even really exist. He's a sort of Mickey Mouse figure. It is staggering what people believe and the lies that they've got. Um, And I was once speaking at Oxford Circus, and I was doing a little presentation on a a flip chart, and there was a a girl laughing at me, and I stopped. She was German. I said, why are you laughing? She said, because there's nothing there. Another time I was speaking, and I got a massive crowd. I thought, this is amazing. Lord, what are you doing? I looked behind me. My my sketchboard was in flames behind me. A a drunk had lit it. It was burning. (laughs) But anyway, it's untrue. And, of course, homophobic. Christians are homophobic. If you look at talking Jesus again, of the 67% of people who've got a Christian friend they like, what percentage of them think that friend is homophobic? Answer 6%. The, Christian, the, the non-Christian who, who, who knows us knows that we're not homophobic. They know that we've repented of that, but there is a media narrative. But don't believe it, and the people on our streets don't believe it. And just keep being incredibly friendly and kind to, to that minority but it doesn't mean that we're not orthodox. On my street, there are four gay couples, and they call me the 18th century clergyman. That's how they refer to me. But anyway, so so now what we've got to do is knock these over, and this is where we were for 20 years, getting people to the place where they could see their sin and come to God, and that's where the courses have been excellent. You know, Alpha Christian explored. It often would take 18 months to two years to get someone on a course, but in time, they'd come. They were still low-hanging fruit, and they'd be, they'd be there to hear it. But where are we now at the bottom? Where are we in 2021? Well, the trouble is, our friends are here, and they're looking in that direction, and they are on the road to destruction. John Stott said, the road to destruction is defined by two things, tolerance and permissiveness. I can do as I please, I can think as I please. So now, you know, there's not this sense of a Christian culture taking them in this direction. So what is the key What is the silver bullet in terms of going forward? What is the challenge? It is led by the pastors and teachers that we model great one-to-one work. It is the individual journeying, and please write that word down, the challenge is journeying with an individual through to faith. So what happens? It used to be you'd bring your mate to a carol service, Hugh Palmer would preach the gospel and they would drop themselves into Christian Explored because they had a praying granny who'd been telling them for 20 years they needed to do it. But now you bring your friend along to a carol service. The pastor speaks for 15 minutes. Then you've got to take your friend back, open the Bible with them, and then they'll come with you on a Christian Explored course. So we have to mobilize one-to-one work in a way that we've never had to before. My job is to get the whole church family, not Bible teaching, but Bible sharing, which again, and I've got a copy of this for all of you to take away from the word one-to-one, is why these books, I think, are so amazing, because you just open up and you read a bit of John's Gospel, and then you read uh, the interpretation on that. You don't, there are questions, but there are answers. But it's training the church family that actually they've got to be doing this work So here's the issue. We don't just preach the Bible from the front. uh, Lloyd-Jones was uh, staggering. And it's not just that we meet in a small group. It's the one-to-one work. And then, of course, lastly, we look at the Bible at home. But for a long time in the culture, you preach from the front, you read it at home. You were given some scripture scripture union notes. Maybe you're in a small group. But now, the people I'm seeing come to faith have somebody journeying with them. So are you modelling reading one-to-one? On Thursday, I'll be reading on the phone with Alan, who's a lawyer in Northern Ireland. Um, uh, I've been meeting with him, I guess, for three months. I was meeting with Devinder every week for, for seven or eight months. He's come to faith. It's just a long haul each week, getting the Bible open, and then saying, hey, here's a Christian Explored course. Oh, here's a carol service. But it's that weekly commitment. It's hard yakka. It's a great joy, but it's hard. And the challenge, the challenge, brothers and sisters, as we go forward, is that our whole church families just do that. It's a change of culture where we're all getting the Bible open with non-Christians as we celebrate, serve, ask them do they want to have a look at it. Four in five will say no, even though they like us. One in five are hungry, according to talking Jesus. And then we just get the Bible open and the word does its work. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we, we just think of this great challenge to get the Bible open individually, to then help individuals to hear evangelistic preaching, to get into groups, to help them to look at the Bible for themselves. But Lord, please give us energy to do this individual work, to have courage to ask people to make time for it. Lord, we feel overwhelmed, but we know that unless our churches change, uh, we're not going to be able to do this task. So help us, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Rico, so much. There was a treasure store there of valuable material that we need to think about. I'm so glad that we recorded uh, the lecture tonight. Uh, we'll be making it available. Keep your eye on the London Seminary website, LondonSeminary.